This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by NTT. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouard, and today is Thursday, March 9th, 2023. And I have Vito here of NTT Research joining me to discuss photonics and the future of optical networks. Hi, Vito. How are you? Hi. Nice to see you again. I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy to see you on the show. You know, uh, we met in person a few times, but I haven't had you on yet. But I'm super excited about what you guys are working on right now. I think that this is kind of like almost sci-fi, but it's not really because ultimately this is going to happen way faster than we think. But for the audience here, you know, our networks today are obviously optical to some extent, a lot of fiber optics linking, you know, continents, et cetera. And of course, in our neighborhoods, there's fiber optic connectivity. I have a fiber mm-hmm. connection right now that I'm speaking to you on mm-hmm. at my home. But it is, at the end of it, you, you have electronics. You have to convert that, that stream of pulses into bits and basically something, you know, electronic computers can understand. So you guys are working on the concept of having an entire network that's optical, including Mm -hmm. the compute part, including the interconnections inside the computer. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of why I wanted to have you on the show, because I think our audience here is very tech savvy and, Mm -hmm. you know, going to be really excited about this idea. So let's maybe divvy this up because we don't have a lot of time into like what we're going to see short term future, what you imagine happening. I'm thinking possibly mm-hmm. replacing some of the interfaces inside computers with optics mm-hmm. uh, and then to the medium range and the long range view, because, you know, you covered all this at a conference that San Francisco invited me to recently, but there's a lot to talk about. So yes. I'll get you started. Well, thank you for having me. And yes, we do actually have a, a lot going on in this area that we call photonics. It's not just us, by the way. It's a it's an industry trend. You know, one of the things you said is people are wondering what's going on. And in fact, I always like the 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 quote: uh, "The future's already here. It's just widely dispersed." Correct. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, fiber optics is here. It has been for many decades. And the idea now is that we've been since since we've been a pioneer in uh, fiber optics for large communications networks along uh, long distances. We're now taking that approach to say, why can't we do the same thing uh, closer to the edge of compute, or closer to the device? And why not actually have photonics in the device? And yeah. the benefits of it are huge. Number one, you know, we always talk about uh, capacity. How much more capacity can I get on the network? And we talk about latency. How quicker can that, uh, that response time be? But the challenge is there's a third element to the three things we need. And that's power consumption. So we want capacity, we want low latency, we want power consumption. But we can only have two of the three at the same time right now. (laughs) It's that dichotomy of the triangle and you can only have two sides. We had the same thing when I worked at video games, Mm -hmm. where it was like design, art, and code, right? Engineering. And you you could always have two, but you had to kind of balance it out. So tell us a little bit, what do you see happening shorter term? Uh, with the NTT research, mm-hmm. like the, the the members, right? What are they working on right now? This right, is right. A, a group of companies under your umbrella. You know, what do you think we're going to see first? So this this umbrella that we are uh, that you mentioned, we call it ION. 
the Innovative Optical and Wireless Network. And we have a roadmap for when we want to roll out the different components of this technology. And we're actually starting in April of this year, where in, uh, in Osaka, we will start to use miniaturized photonics converters within the network to lower the power consumption and increase the speed to drive much lower latency. And so right. that's our first commercial rollout will actually be in April of this year. But we have a, a long-term plan where we're going to begin creating the ability to create uh, inter-board. So think of a computer where it has to network within a computer using optics within the computer. So, you know, my audience is very consumer-centric. Do you think we're actually going to see some of that trickle down to like gaming PCs, for example? Do you think, is there any kind of glimpse in the organizations you're working with that potentially companies like ASUS might you know, come out with a replacement for PCIe inside the gaming computer that is optical? Or are you thinking it's more, we're talking more data centers right now, more commercial applications because of cost and economies of scale? What, what do you think we're going to see here? We will get optical at the device level. There really isn't, we've been talking about this challenge. We have a, a challenge at the device level where we need speed, latency, and intelligence. And we can't do it with the power consumption models that we have today. The chipsets that today can't drive enough power. So in a phone, in five to 10 years, we will have optical chips. And right. that's the only way we can increase the power, whether it's a phone or a gaming device or uh, you know, an iPad or any kind of tablet. We need to increase capacity and lower latency without increasing power. And you can't do it with electronics. Yeah, because ultimately, electronics have a resistance, and the resistance creates heat. Creates heat. And right. we can't, this is physics, we can't get around that right now. So mm -hmm. that's another reason to go optical, right? But mm -hmm. it's very challenging because, you know, computers are inherently right now, at least today, designed mm -hmm. to be, you know, electronic. And so that conversion process is also a challenge. Mm -hmm. But yes, ultimately... That's one of the big drivers here. There is a sustainability aspect to this that right. uh, also a, a kind of like, you know, Moore's law, we're hitting that wall, right? In terms of lithography and stuff. So I think this is what fascinates me at the consumer level. You know, I've always imagined a phone where every like pixel, as it were, on the yeah. device, like it's mm -hmm. covered in pixels, but every pixel mm -hmm. is a compute unit, is a display mm -hmm. unit, is a speaker, is a camera, is a microphone, is an antenna. Mm -hmm. And you can't really get to that right now with, you know, wires. Like it's just, you're going to run into some sort of atomic limitation there. Well, so yeah, I mean, the phones we have now really haven't changed that much and they don't change that much year to year as much as the phone companies want to say they're, <laughs> they're new and, 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 and exciting. The incremental is mostly around what the, the, the camera, maybe, maybe a little bit of the sound, maybe the, a little bit of the display, but we've hit a wall in terms of a quantum change. And we call them smartphones because we're comparing them to the previous generation of Correct. phones. Yeah. But the next set of phones are going to be intelligent. They're going to have AI capabilities. They're going to have processing capabilities. Because today, our phones and our devices are really just connectors to the web. And everything's yes. happening at the web, which is where the, the bottleneck happens. And I think there's another aspect to photonics that we're not looking at 
you know, a lot of us thinking about it is in your networks, communication interconnects between devices, compute, of course. But mm -hmm. to me, it's 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 gathering light. It's photography. You know, there's all kinds of advances that I come from abandoning the traditional way of capturing images digitally. Like right now, you know, we have an array of pixels in a sensor that's electronic, that's, you know, photons hit, there's optics in front of that and mechanisms to adjust the focus mm. and stabilize the image and all that. And that's very well known. That's, that's, that's glass, that's old school camera, right? The mm -hmm. future is, as I said, literally like fiber optic size detectors mm -hmm. that feed some kind of optical computer that generates an image. And it's kind of invisible on the back of the phone. It's just some sort of array of dots that you don't really care about or see that converts the image and you know that's the kind of stuff that sounds very sci-fi today but give it 20 yeah. years and we'll be there right and and you know you we, we we talk about the phone because that's the form factor that we're all comfortable with but what you just said imagine taking that down to a you know size of your thumb and putting that sensor and that visual sensor on uh, all of the lampposts in the city because in order to get autonomous driving, you're going to need a lot of data processing, a lot of yeah. visual data processing, and you can't do that unless you have high power, low latency, high capacity units, and you can't do that with electronic. You can't shrink right. it enough to get that power. And you're running into a problem right now in the car world. I mean, I cover EVs and car technology hmm. where the compute required for, you know, pseudo-autonomous driving, right. which is where we're at right now, level three is the best we have, mm -hmm. uh, level four in parking garages. But, you know, it's like we're, we're, it was consuming so much energy that it's almost taking too much energy out of the, in a, an electric car, out of the battery pack, right? right? That could be used for actually moving the car, which is the whole point in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of uh, those limits you're talking about. So, mm -hmm. you know, moving forward a little further, where, where do you see... What do you see this looking like? You're talking about the city network. Mm -hmm. I suppose the next step is for the consumer is going to be the home network, right? We're going to have some sort of, you know, optical network in the home. And I figure that might be wireless more than anything. I can, can see, imagine using some sort of Li-Fi or light pulses mm -hmm. because, you know, houses are very slow at evolving, right? Mm -hmm. I live in 1960s high rise here in Vancouver, Canada in my residence. And I live in a really old Victorian in San Francisco. And, you know, there's technologies in there that are baked in and just not going to change unless somebody yep. does a renovation and spends a lot of money. Right. So I don't see that being practical to expect people to upgrade their homes with from the ground up, as it were, right? So well, we're going to have exactly. to come up with some solutions there, right? What do you think? Well, I mean, the wireless, the, the whole idea of wireless wired converge, uh, convergence hasn't really happened. We have 5G, which is okay fast, but then there's still a wired network that kind of is, is, is clogged up and doesn't get you the speed you need. In the future, we will need whatever 6G is, and nobody's really figured out exactly <laughs> what it is, but there the will mystery. be a wireless network, the mystery network that everyone's still waiting for, where we will need that capacity. And we again, we can't get there without some new technology, some quantum change in how we build and, and deliver networks and computing bits. And you know, speaking of the home, Again, we're, we're living in a world where we're all comfortable with where we think streaming is great, which it is compared to five years ago. But when do we start? And you remember 3D TVs, which were a flop. When do we <laughs> yeah. start getting real-time gaming or real-time entertainment or real-time experiences or 3D experiences? These are all ways that we can deliver real-time school and education 
through holographs and different kinds of 3D worlds. We, we can't do that today. We're far from it. And the demand will be there. And the question always becomes, why are you doing all this? Why do you have all this technology? And we know that there is need and demand, uh, not just for entertainment, but also for healthcare, you know, for well-being, for education, many ways. And for infrastructure, because, you know, I was going to move on to the next topic, which I think logically is going to be our cities, our our right. our networks, our, our core, what, you know, what we consider to be the utility today, which is the internet, right? Mm-hmm. I see the internet as utility I have forever, and I think a lot of people don't agree with that, but they're wrong, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> it has become critical, and as such, mm-hmm. in the same way as we have power grids and we have, right. you know, fuel networks, we are mm-hmm. going to need even more bulletproof, even more resilient, even faster, even lower consumption networks, right, in terms right. of power right. efficiency. Right. So. That's what you guys are actively working on with the members of the group. And I think that to me is what really is exciting as well, is that, you know, we all enjoy our consumer products because of devices that we use every day, but those devices wouldn't exist if there was no cloud to drive them, right? Mm, right. Well, you know, m- many people don't know NTT very well, and we are made of, like you say, many companies. One of those companies is one called Docomo, which is a mobile operator with over 85 million customers. So we have the perfect combination of R&D as well as connection to consumers and the needs that they have. And we can start to build something that we know consumers want. For example, the one thing, one of the big things, and some people debate whether this is going to be real or not, is Web3. And so the idea of moving to a more peer-to-peer based network using blockchain and and quantum computing and tokens We'll never get there without changing the infrastructure, like you say. So, you know, we believe that without this kind of revolutionary change, I want to remind us all again, this is not just NTT. We would not be able to do this on our own. We have joined up with over 110 other industry leaders in something called the ION Global Forum in order to start developing these standards, because if there's no standard... It never it works. Doesn't work. We know that. Right. Absolutely. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. And and that's kind of where we're at right now in some ways with, you know, the state mm-hmm. of the internet is that we used to have standards. I mean, they still drive the internet at the core, but mm-hmm. we're kind of all creating our own parallel wall gardens on top of that. And it's not the mm-hmm. solution long term. Right. And unfortunately, you know, there are all the forces of of economy and, and other, uh, yeah. you know, business, pulls business and pushes models. that are changing and yeah. affecting that. But I, I do appreciate that there are companies out there, you know, like the members of, of ION and like NTT Research, we're just really focused on like, look, let's solve these problems and we can't do them by ourselves in the same way as in the old days when we were developing the internet with ARPANET, it was the research, you know, the universities that there Mm -hmm. was doing the work. They were trying to get this off the ground. Of course, you know, there was some, definitely some benefits to the, to the military as well for this Mm -hmm. stuff. But Mm -hmm. I think that to me, what's fascinating here is that you guys are really focusing on on photonics and mm-hmm. and kind of moving it to the next level and and to bring it not just to infrastructure you know server farms etc but you're also trying to bring it to consumer level technology you know ultimately and that's that's i think much more challenging mm-hmm. and as such i feel that you know, you're doing the good work in a way. Like it's, it's kind of like you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh it's we actually have a, a word for it, a, a model that we call it B to B to C, and right. what that does is it allows us to 
enable and kind of, you know, empower businesses to deliver value to consumers. Right. Because we, we don't necessarily plan to deliver all of this to consumers, but there's a whole world of deliverables to consumers that our partners can do. And that's really what we're about is how can we enable and empower the next internet? That's what this is all about for us. Well, this is a fantastic way to end this conversation. You couldn't have put it more succinctly. You know, I want to thank um, you, Rito, for being on the show. Thank you so much. Vito Mabroco, folks, NTT Research. Thank you very much. And folks, stay tuned. We're going to have our guests now for the rest of the news and the reviews of the week. Thanks again, Vito. Thank you. Good to see you. And we're back with C. Scott Brown of Android Authority. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great, Miriam. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. We're going to talk about some news and maybe, you know, kind of recap some of the things from MWC that fell through the crack, like this Prophecy Camera Tech. You know, it's kind of started out as a quiet week and then like IO got announced and then Android 14 preview. And then next thing you know is that we got a full podcast. It's like, what the hell happened there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of just came out of nowhere. But uh, but yeah, exciting to see Android 14, the new developer preview too. And also Google I.O. I'm very excited. This will be my first physical attendance of Google I.O. So oh, I'm congratulations. Yeah, it is very amusement park like. I'm just warning you now. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it, it, it's very googly, not in a bad way or anything. It's it's just it's just a, a very very special flavor, and uh, it's also a flavor full of sunshine usually that really beats on you, so brings sunblock, and it's also full of people, and that's to be expected but it's pretty packed usually. And more importantly, full of allergies. So if you have any kind of mm. pollen allergies, um, make sure you get your Benadryl going. Okay. Not a sponsor, <laughs> not a sponsor, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So uh, we haven't even gotten to the point of it all night. May 10th is Google I.O. Yeah. In person for some of us. So that's cool. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, I I'm excited for this uh, for this version of IO because it's going to be the, obviously the first time that I'm going to be physically there, which is really exciting. But also because um, there could be some exciting Google products launched at this at this IO, including possibly the first foldable Pixel. So that would be pretty I know, exciting. I know, and you know, I'm setting myself up for low expectations, having been to IO like over. I don't know, probably a decade of I.O. now, minus the few COVID things. It's it's interesting because when they announce products there, usually in the past, it's been the 6A and the 45A and the 4A, like the A phones. And they kind of give you one at the end of the event, kind of like you all line up in the press area and they kind of like give you a phone, you get a, like a voucher for it. And then everybody's scrambling to do hands-on and, you know, it's it's not very. Um, don't expect this to be a very orderly kind of setup. If okay. Get devices and <laughs> and it's possible that I'm wrong that they have a plan that they're going to see devices ahead of Google I/O this year or something. You know, I'm not expecting to get anything as a smaller pub, at least not right away. 
you know, at least not until IO itself, but some of you folks like, you know, Android Authority, et cetera, The Verge, they, you might all get them ahead of time, but especially if it's a folding phone, like if they drop the folding phone on that, on that day and just say at the very end of it, like, here you go, here's a bunch of devices. We're all going to be like freaking oh, yeah. the yeah, F out, gonna, right? Yeah. It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> so, but that's my point. Like prepare yourselves for that because um, that's how it usually is. I think that it could be that that it would be similar to what they did uh, at the end of IO last year, where at the end, Rick Ostolo got on stage and was just like, guess what? Here's the Pixel tablet. Here's the Pixel uh, uh, 7 Pro. Here's all this. And, and you won't actually get the physical device at the end of the show, but they'll just be like, we're going to get ahead of all the leaks. Here you go. This is what they all look like. This is when they're coming. Bam. You know, so... I, even that would be cool. Just just to see that would be no cool. true. It, it could very well be that they redo the thing from last year. That was the first time they did anything quite like that. The previous in person ones. I think the last time I got one in person there was I want to say the three A. Yeah, and three XL. Remember there was an XL version of that. Yeah, yeah. That was How cool. we forget? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, then I don't remember. I think four A was during COVID. And so they sent them to us and 4A 5G. And then we had the 5A. The 5A they shipped to us as well and the 6A they shipped to us. So who knows? Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe you won't have to scramble at all. We'll see. I don't know. I'm excited <laughs> about it. I'll be there. I'll see you there. We'll hang out in the trenches. Maybe we'll all do a podcast together because I tend to do <laughs> one at IO just for S and giggles, as they say. Right. So let's talk about the 14 preview. Android 14, you've been playing with it. You wrote a story. Can you give us like the, the cliff notes? You know, you have elevator pitch, two minute lowdown on what we should know. That's super cool about 14. So far, 14 is, is, is a very iterative change from the original, uh, the first DP one, and also even an iterative upgrade over Android 13. A lot of the changes we've seen so far have just been like in the background kind of stuff. There've been some permission changes. There've been some, uh, you know, privacy things that have changed, but, but really there's not really any new, like intensely cool features, at least not yet. We could be seeing a lot of those at Google IO going back to that, but, but we'll see. Um, but one of the things that we've seen that's pretty cool, uh, is not actually in Android 14 DP two at the moment, but there is, um, uh, actually, no, that's not true. It is in there. Uh, it's, it's in the accessibility section though, which is a, a notification light uh, that right. goes off. So, uh, and this is something that iPhone users have enjoyed for for quite a while now. But uh, it looks like it's finally coming to Android. Which uh, so basically, this would sort of create a facsimile of the old, old, old notification LED that used to be on almost every Android phone. Uh, so the idea being that when you get a notification, your camera flash will flash to give you a visual representation that there has been a notification on your phone, or or you can have your screen light up. Or right. both. Oh, cool. And that's, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So you can sort of pick, you can say, I want my entire phone to just like go ablaze in light every time I get a notification. Or you can just say, I just want a quick camera flash or I just want a quick screen flash. And it'll, you know, I think it's great because uh, it'll give people that are hard of hearing a better way to see that they are getting notifications on their phone without having to have the phone on them. That's, you know, for a lot of people who are hard of hearing with Android phones, if they want to, 
uh, know that they've gotten a notification, they have to keep their phone on their person so that they can feel the vibration. But with this new feature, this would be something that those people would have a new option where they could leave their phone somewhere else in the room. And, you know, when the room goes ablaze in light, they'll know I just got a notification. The only thing that's yeah. a little disappointing uh, for now is that uh, it doesn't appear there's any way to customize those notifications. Oh, so, so yeah. You, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's for now, it might be something where Google like adds those features in later or, or even adds them in future beta releases for Android 14. But for now it's pretty much just an on or off thing. You either get notifications that are lighting up your phone or you don't. Uh, there's no way to say two flashes means an email. Three flashes means a text yeah. message. Yeah. Or that even kind of thing is filter that list down from the main notification list you've created. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's an improvement. I've used it on iPhones forever now simply because it's, uh, you know, I'm I'm old school. I like a good notification light. And, uh, you know, it's nice. You put your phone, phone down and you can just have it flash. Of course, when you're in a movie theater, it's a bit of a hassle, but you don't have your hand in. <laughs> your phone in your hand when you're a movie theater right yeah you're right well, who, you who goes to movie theaters pocket. anymore anyway ah <laughs> uh, it's true now although every now and then i indulge i have to say but um yeah i think it's gonna be cool tell me more about this android 14 select photo picker that looks interesting so that's a, a new privacy feature that's being incorporated into android 14 and it basically if an app now wants access to your photos and videos it's it's either a yes or no answer. So you say, sure, app, you can right. have access to my photos and videos. And then it gets everything. <laughs> yeah, then it goes after everything, including things that maybe you don't want it to, to go after. So in Android 14, uh, Google's going to introduce this new permission that's going to enable you to only select specific videos and photos that you want that app to have access to. So you know this would be advantageous for, uh, for example, if you're uploading a profile photo to an app but that app will never ask you for photos and videos again. You don't need to give that app access to your photos and videos for all time. You just want to get that one photo uploaded. So then you would say, I want this specific photo to, to be given to this app. And then that's it. That's all the app gets. So this will be a really cool thing for, uh, for people who are really, you know, uh, sensitive about their privacy and security when it comes to their photos and videos. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a flagship feature so far. Google really is, emphasizing this one because you know anything google can do to sort of set the tone of being a privacy focused and security centric company is 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 what it wants to do yeah i like the idea actually it's pretty cool i i could see myself creating a folder that's got you know things like as you said like profile photos or whatever only and only giving out access to that and then i don't have to worry about you know more personal stuff cool i like it so yeah, do you expect obviously uh IO will find out more, but do you expect that the first devices will probably be the 7A, right? And the and the folding phone if it ever comes, right? Uh no, I don't I don't think so. I think the 7A we'll see before the stable launch of of Android 14. Really? Uh yeah, usually Google Google tends to keep uh the debut of Android for, uh, of of the new version of Android to the mainline Pixel, so I I expect so a eight. yeah yeah I expect a um an Android fourteen stable launch sometime in August, and then the very first phone to make it to market with Android fourteen already installed will be the Pixel eight and the Pixel eight Pro. That's what I expect, and I'm only basing that on historical evidence. I don't have any 
there's no leak or anything. I'm just, that's just what Google tends to do. So sounds good. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me as well. Now that you pointed out. So yeah, that's it. IO May 10th, you know, Android 14 preview has more interesting stuff in it. I'm really excited about this screen flash and LED camera flash for notifications. I think that's going to be something I'm going to turn on for sure, because I always miss stuff. And despite wearing a smartwatch, half the time I leave it in sleep mode by accident. Oops. You know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'm not that good with that stuff. Speaking of 14, the number 14 is speaking of, you know, a feature that the iPhones had forever, this flash, the LED of the camera for notifications. We got a yellow iPhone 14 this week. Just what we needed to disrupt the news cycle and mess up everything else for us this week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Man, what do you think? I mean, I love yellow and I think this is a really nice shade of yellow and I would dig it. I would buy that phone if I needed a brand new iPhone right now. That's me. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I, I am not a fan of yellow. It's not really one of my colors, but at the same time, the thing I, I get kind of irritated by, by late launches or, or I guess just the mid cycle launches of new colors. I don't know. It just kind of irritates me because what if I did like yellow? Like what if yellow was my absolute <laughs> favorite color and I had already bought, you know, uh, an iPhone that was not yellow when it came out because I was super excited to get it. And now I see this beautiful yellow iPhone and I'm like, damn, like, you know, it's like it, to me, it feels almost like a punishment for early adoption. And that, that just irritates me. And that's not me ragging on Apple. Samsung does this all the time. OnePlus does this all the time. Like it's a, it's a smartphone thing. It's not just an Apple thing. No, I hear you. I mean, then again, you know, the previous yellows, which are the 11, the 10R, the 5C came out at launch. So, you know, maybe it was just like they had extra yellow paint floating around or something. (laughs) No, I know it's not painted, guys. I'm joking. But I mean, look, I think it's cool. I'm not sure why they didn't do the pro. I would dig a pro in that color. Yeah, I think I think most uh, most smartphone companies are doing doing this thing where they think that if you have a high level, very expensive flagship phone, that it has it's to be only black. neutral. It has to be neutral colors. Yeah. Black, <laughs> white, gray. Like that's just how it is. I don't really understand why. I think, I guess they assume that most people buying it are going to be using it for like business purposes or something. I don't know what the, what the, the thought process it's stupid. is. stupid. I'm just going to be yeah. out there and say it like, come on, I want my super bright colored phones. And I know a lot of people are going to say, you put your phone in a case, you customize that way. But you know, some people received a purple silicone case, I believe that Apple also shipped this week with their iPhone 14 yellow device. You know, the, YouTube creators and stuff that Apple likes to send devices to. And that's a cool combo. The purple case on a yellow iPhone. Perfect for Easter. really nice. Yeah, (laughs) so I'm just saying sometimes you can use a case that accessorizes and somehow accents the main color of your phone. So I'm I'm not against it. They did purple last year, right? That was the color last year. Was that what it was? I can't remember. Was it green? No, it was green. It was like a forest green or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, green was green yep. was the hot color last year. Yeah, purple was at launch, I guess. Yeah. Somehow that was a purple in my mind. But uh, you know, like this is typical Apple. They you know, six months after the iPhone launches, they come out with a new color and everybody loses their mind for a week. And then we're <laughs> back to our normal news cycle. But I have to say, being a relatively 
happy yellow person. I mean, it's not my first color of choice, but it's a color I feel happy about. So All right. good, good for that. Um, you know, I think there's a bunch of other phones that came out this week that, well, some of them came out during MWC, but didn't really get much MWC attention because the companies weren't there. So I want to talk about the Vivo V27 series briefly because Vivo is mostly known for the X series, which is like the crazy, insanely awesome camera phones they make, right? They're essentially like they're flagship flagships that have everything, like wireless charging, the best processors, the best displays. It's basically, you know, like the S23 Ultra, but from Vivo. And they have Zeiss lenses and crazy camera sensors, etc. Anyway, so nobody ever focuses on the other Vivo stuff. And the other Vivo stuff, I've played with the V series multiple times. I got the V23s and 25s. They seem to skip two numbers every time. I don't know what it, it's. It's never like there's no 24 as far as I know. There's no 26 either. It's weird. Anyway, they were finally announced. I think they were announced tail end of MWC, something like that. And, yeah, because because uh, uh, Vivo wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. And to me, what stands out is that the Pro has a Dimensity 8200. This is a chip that was launched like a month after the 9200 last year or early this year. Like it was just kind of flew under the radar. I mean, even MediaTek didn't make a big fuss about it when they launched that chip. It was really strange because they made a bigger fuss about the 7200 recently. So yeah. in fact, I had Finn Barmonian on the podcast recently talking about the 7200 with me for 15 minutes as, as a segment. So, you know, but 8200, so I, it's good to know that there is a 8200 chip out there in a real phone. And also <laughs> the 7200, right? And the 7200 made it to the non-pro version of the Vivo V27. And to me, this is interesting because, you know, normally when they do two phones like this, you get the pro and the non-pro. Like one of them is Qualcomm, the other one has MediaTek, right? You generally get kind of a balance. But here, they're like, both of them are MediaTek. So there you go. Strange. Yeah, you know, yeah. Vivo is one of those brands that I don't follow very closely uh, just because of, you know, they're not available in the United States and Android Authority is a very United States focused site. For but sure, yeah. But, but when I do see Vivo, I, I, I get really excited about the things that they do because Vivo is one of those brands that tends to try things a little bit different. And, you know, just, just from a design perspective and, and, and like you're saying, like, you know, specs and whatever, like they tend to go a little bit off the beaten path. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I can't buy their phones and we don't really talk much about them on Android authority, but, uh, but yeah, whenever I do see them, I'm always like, that's cool. Or that's interesting or whatever. You know, <laughs> I always kind of, I do that, you know, the hold my chin thing, like, Hmm, hmm you know, and, uh, yeah. and I don't really do that with much other manufacturers. So yeah. Also, you know, what's interesting. It looks like these phones, the only difference between them is a the processor. From what I can see, they both have the same 6.78 inch AMOLED 120 Hz 1080p display. They both have the same Sony IMX 766 really solid sensor, well-tuned sensor, uh, F of 1.8 with OIS. So they didn't mess on that. Good. Uh, then of course there's a boring crappy eight megapixel ultra wide and the completely useless sticker cam as I like to call them. The cameras that <laughs> might as well be stickers right. at two megapixel <laughs> macro. But it's interesting to me that both have the same camera setup and the same display. And then the front camera is a 50 megapixel with autofocus. Whoa, that's cool. I guess it's a selfie focused 
you know, pardon the pun. Well, uh, yeah, phone? I, I'm pretty sure that the, the, the V series has become like, kind of like the, the millennial series. The, the millennial mid-ranger. Phone. Yeah. They're mid-rangers yeah, yeah, usually. Yeah. 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 But it's interesting that normally they differentiate them more. Normally there's a different camera system, a slightly different size display or something. But here yeah. we're looking at like, wow, kind of crazy. Both of them are the same battery too, 4,600 milliamp hour, 66 watt charging. Of course, no wireless charging here. Um, it's kind of interesting. Oh man, why does Vivo call their OS Fun Touch OS? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's like, gotta be a lost in translation thing, you know? <laughs> no, but my point is like, you know, when it started out years ago, right? Like when I got my first Vivo phone, I think probably five, six years ago, finally, I was like, okay, yeah, lost in translation. I can deal with this. But we've been like a lot of us Western reviewers, because my audience is all over the world. I've got tons of folks in India who buy Vivo phones listening to the show. So, you know, of course I've been following their devices and getting some of them to review. You'd think by now they would have renamed that because it's like they're much more global than they used to be. And it just sounds a little off, you know? Yeah, it is a little strange. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> all right. Oh, the cool thing about this one, I actually played with it briefly at MWC. A friend of mine got a review unit and. Um, you know, I think it was the Pro that I had. In, I had it briefly in my hand. There is a notification LED in the back, so this is very similar in a way to, you know, Vivo is part of BBK Group, although it's kind of like the the problem child in BBK Group. They kind of do yeah, their own thing and yeah. beat their own drum and cause all kinds of mayhem and chaos on the side. You know, with not quite like being, for example, their chargers. They're they use similar technology to SuperVOOC, which is now used by Oppo, OnePlus, and Realme, but they. They're not compatible with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's slightly different, but it's the same technology. Also, you know, the name of the OS is a bit weird. So they do their own thing. <laughs> I like the fact that they do their own thing. But it's interesting to see here that this is very similar in terms of specs to the Oppo Reno 9 series, which also has that little notification LED action. I think the 8 series had that too as well, the Renos. And then the most recently, the, the phone that we all play with at MWC, the Realme GT3 that has that notification LED in the back as well. Of, although that's a different phone, you know, with the 240 watt charging and the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, it's much higher end. You know, it's kind of interesting how BBK Group in general is starting to put these notification LEDs in some form or another uh, in the back of their phones, speaking of the notification feature in Android 14. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is cool. I like it. I liked it a lot in the Reno 8 Pro where it was the, uh, was it the 7 Pro or the 8 Pro? One of them where the entire edge of the camera pod lit up as a notification LED. That's cool. Right. Super dope. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah. So I miss the is, notification LEDs. Me too. I want more, more, more light shows. Okay. Okay. Before <laughs> I go too crazy, not as many light shows as the nothing phones, please. That's a little too much for me. Oh, so I no, I, 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 I know you're in. Are you hundred percent in? Okay. I am. I am totally in. Yep. I love okay. it. Okay. It seems a little too much for me, but. No, the, o- the only reason that I don't use the, the nothing phone one is my daily driver, even in the United States is because of the lack of a telephoto lens. Like if that thing had a telephoto, yeah. that would be my, that would be my main phone. I love that phone so much. I love how well balanced it is. I love the pricing. Yeah. I love that nothing is better than anything else in that phone. Everything is good, but not flagship good. And that's totally fine yeah. by me. I can totally live with that. Yeah, me too. 
that's it's such I'm super excited about the you know the the upcoming uh nothing phone two. And we're gonna talk about that in a second, actually. I just wanna finish up on the Vivo here, because there's also <laughs> a Vivo 27e, E for economy, I guess. This is like the <laughs> The cheaper model, this one's significantly different. It's got a Helio G99, which is the MediaTek's highest tier 4G chip. By the way, that is a six nanometer chip for those of you keeping track at home, which doesn't suck for a 4G chip. I think it's the only 4G chip on the market today that is in the realm of 5G chips in terms of its nanometer process technology. Yeah, yeah. Which means it's going to be very power efficient, especially since it doesn't have 5G to deal with. Uh, but yeah, it's, oh, wow, 64 megapixel main camera with OIS, even on the economy model. They're not messing about. That's well, that's probably interesting. That's probably an older an older sensor, though. I mean, if I had to it guess. It doesn't matter, though. Usually you don't see OIS at this price point on a device like yeah. that's a 4G device, especially, you know? Yeah. It's like, wow, I'm into it. It also has an AMOLED. It's also 120 hertz. It's probably also 1080p. Wow, okay, so it's very similar. Just had slap sides. It doesn't have the curved edges. Curved edges, yeah. Well, that's to me, that's a benefit. I'm, I'm sick of curved phones. Sick of yeah, them. me too. I like the flatness better. So, yeah. you know, I think that's a cool kind of uh, set of phones. Interesting that they make too much noise at MWC about it, though. I feel that's a bit weird. Yeah, well, it's hard to if you're if you're not even there. <laughs> well, just, my point is, it's weird they weren't even there. You know? Yeah, it was really bizarre. Like we, you know, we we, I don't know if you've talked about this on your show, but but in in you know behind the scenes kind of thing for Android Authority before big conferences like Mobile World Congress and CES and all those things, we send out all these outreach emails to all the companies. Yeah, just being like, exactly. Just just being like, hey, we're we're gonna be there. What do you got planned? Like, can we kick, you know, can you send us some information under embargo so we can write some content ahead of time and all that stuff? And yeah, when when we got the email back from Vivo saying that they weren't gonna be there, we were like, what? Like that? Like why? Like, why not? This is like this is like <laughs> your show. This is like the show for smartphones. So it was a little bizarre. Yeah, I don't even think they've ever been there. I could be wrong, but I don't remember them being there before. I've gone oh, yeah, to maybe. a lot of MWCs. So, huh? That's weird. <laughs> Anyway, pricing V27 Pro is starts at 459. Remember, this is Chinese market. Uh, actually, no, it's India. So actually, that should be close to what we would pay in the West. Add maybe 50 bucks to that. 459 for the, the better one. And then we've got the other one's 399. And then the cheaper one is 289. So not bad prices for these, honestly. I'm surprised they have OIS on the base model. That's kind of pretty cool, actually. Uh, because with the right camera app, you can probably get some pretty decent photos because you can keep that shutter open for longer without yeah. blur because <laughs> of OIS. Hmm. Cool. Um, speaking of, let's just jump into nothing because, well, you know, we just talked about it. So as you remember, uh, man, that was such a circus. You were there, right? For the yes, whole... yes, I was there. Yes. I kind of still feel, I talked to Carl after, uh, Carl, come on. Why? This was it was unnecessary. Because you just said C eight series. That's like it could be an eight 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 plus at this point. Like, you know, and I don't want that to happen. Of course it won't happen. <laughs> I actually called it on the spot. I said it can't be the HN2 because they would have they would have said it because it's their yes. flagship right now and they would have made a fuss about it. So exactly. it can't also be an eight 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 because that's getting too old. So I think it's going to be the 8 plus Gen 1. And sure enough, sure enough, one of the Qualcomm execs screwed up in a, 
was it LinkedIn post or something? Something uh, yeah. somewhere. Yep. And, um, you know, then next thing you know, we know it's a Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, which makes sense. Actually, it was Alex. Alex, Alex Katuzian from Qualcomm has been on the show many times and talked about the chips. And, uh, you know, he's always got some great insights. So, oops. But hey, you know what? <laughs> um, we Thank you. Thank you, Alex. We, we appreciate it. And I'm sure Carl is is happy because it fits well and within the nothing strategy of leaking stuff out piecemeal. It's like, look, yeah. you got attention two weeks in a row, one for just saying eight series on stage at, not even the stage, on the booth floor <laughs> at MWC at the Qualcomm booth. And so a week later for having Alex leak it by accident. Yep. Maybe it wasn't an accident, Scott. I'm huh? sure Carl is, is, Carl is the master. When it comes to PR stuff for smartphone companies, there is there are very few people that are better than Carl. See, I, I think it was an accident simply because that would be Carl throwing Alex under the bus, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. You don't yeah. do that. that. That's not cool. So yeah. yeah, nothing phone two, Snapdragon 8 plus Gen 1. So since you're a big fan and I'm a big fan too of the phone one, do you think that we'll see a third lens as a proper telephoto and uh, that our lives will be complete, that we will have achieved Zen? <laughs> and we will no longer need to buy a Pixel phone forever after. So uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think that the Nothing Phone 2 is probably going to be a slightly better version of the Nothing Phone 1. But it can't be too much better because then the price will have to go way up. And, exactly. And Carl's not going to want to do that. Carl's going to want to obviously like flat out like there is no possible way that the nothing phone 2 is going to be the same price as the nothing phone 1. So, if you were someone who invested in a nothing phone 1 at the low low price of what is it 399 pounds, 399 pounds yes. or something? Very very low price. If you invested in that, unfortunately, the nothing phone 2 is going to cost you more money. That's just how it is, but it's not going to be like all of a sudden a you know, uh, uh, a Samsung Galaxy S23 Plus or something like that. It's not going to have a telephoto lens. It's not going to have a 1440p display. It's not going to do all the the things that you can get from a, a a super flagship phone. It's just going to be a little bit better. And and that's fine. You know, that's fine for me. I, obviously, like I said, I don't think I would be able to use it as my daily driver without a telephoto lens. But at the same time, I love that a, a company like nothing exists because- they 100%. are going to push push that envelope, make it so that, you know, because one of the things that I love about Carl, and, and I don't want this to be like, I'm not a Carl simp or anything, but one of the things that I love about Carl and his attitude towards smartphones is that he really, really cares about the design of the phone. Like for Carl, what's going on in the phone? I mean, it's not that he doesn't care, but it's like so secondary to how the phone looks and feels in your hand. And so and many companies- experience. And the experience, yes. And so many companies just forget that. They just are just like, yeah, whatever. It, you know, the to to a lot of companies, the outside of the phone is just is just like it's like the bread of a sandwich. You know, it's like, who cares what the bread of the sandwich is? What's inside the sandwich is what matters. And Carl's the opposite. Carl's like, no, like the way the sandwich looks is just as important as the way that it tastes. And and I love that about him. I agree. Speaking of, let's do a tangent on sandwiches. Because this photo is all about tangents, and we have time. So hey. okay, great. Sandwiches. Speaking of the <laughs> filling, what is your favorite sandwich filling? So I'm very boring with my favorite sandwich. I love a turkey club. Okay, that's fair. 
Hmm. So we're going savory first. You, I, you, I was thinking you'd say peanut butter jelly or something. Oh, no, 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 no. No, neither am I. No, that's yeah. kind of wrong, actually. I'm, see, the problem <laughs> is I grew up in Europe, so peanut butter, no. Unless it's like, for me, peanut butter, unless it's, you know, the real thing, which is kind of savory and salty, not, yeah. not sweet and, you know, jammy. I don't do peanut butter that way. I'm sorry. I know a lot of you here listening are going to be like, Miriam, I cannot listen to your podcast ever again now. <laughs> but, but bear with me. I think uh, from, the, from, the, um, from the perspective of a savory sandwich, for me, it's going to be, I'm a big fan of a tuna sandwich done right, honestly. Mm, yeah, me too. Uh, you know, I'm not a huge meat eater. Like I will sometimes eat, like anything with bacon in it, I'll probably be into it. So a sandwich, like a, a breakfast sandwich, egg, cheese, bacon, I'm on board. Yeah. A good tuna sandwich, I'm on board, especially if it's uh, uh, grilled a little bit, heated up, you know, mm, browned yeah. up on the outside. That's the carpe side of it. You know, yeah. tuna melt. Yeah, I, I like the calpe side of it. You know, like the exterior is being paid attention to. It's not just your wonder bread BS on the outside, you know? Exactly, yeah. Like the bread is high quality. Growing up in France in particular, like the bread has to be good. And then, of course, we have the uh, the, the tuna, which I think if it's done right can be great. A good egg salad will also please me. Mm, yeah. In terms of uh, sweet, for me, it's Nutella. It's got to be Nutella. Yeah, Nutella is, I'm a big fan of Nutella for sure. In fact, I would give everyone here a tip. If you want to try something out of the ordinary, buy some pumpernickel bread. You know, the German, mm. very black, very brown, yeah. uh, thin sliced. Put that in the toaster until some of the grain starts to crack and explode. So you, you know, like toast it well. Then grab some butter and like real butter. And melt it on the pumpernickel so it absorbs it nicely, but you still have a bit of that butter feel. And then put Nutella on top of the butter. And then you will thank me. Oh wow. So this just took this just took a turn. I <laughs> you will thank me. And um and you know, thanks for coming out to my TED talk about sandwiches <laughs> inside my podcast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anything to add to the sandwich discussion? Did I totally shut you up here? No, no, because because you threw me off because when you started talking about the butter and the pumpernickel and everything, I didn't expect you to put the Nutella on. But now I'm thinking ah. about it. Now I'm thinking about it. You 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 spent a bunch of time in France, and what you're basically talking about is is a buckwheat crepe, basically. Correct. So it's Essentially, kind of, kind you're of making similar. your own. Yeah, yeah. You're making your own buckwheat yeah. crepe. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks again for listening to the um, sandwich <laughs> podcast, folks. Let's get back to our regular programming now. Um, the right. other phone I want to talk to you about is simply because it's like, of course, this had to happen at some point. In fact, I don't think this is the first. I kind of feel like Honor or somebody showed, but not a, maybe a final version of a phone, but maybe a software update that did this too. This is the Realme C55. And the Realme C55 clearly has a hole punch type front camera system, but they're using it in software as a dynamic island. So yeah, on Android, finally a clone of the iPhone, kind of, although it's not oval, <laughs> it's weird, you know? Yeah, no, it, it's definitely, uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it was only a matter of time. Like, you know, I mean, as soon as Apple announced that, everybody in the Android world started scrambling, being like, okay, how are we going to respond to this? And uh, yeah, leave it to Realme to get something out first. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like the Dynamic Island. I think it's a good Me idea. Too. 
I, I think that it's it's something that could have a lot of potential. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Android fans are going to dig it. Like, I feel like... So a slight tangent here. I, I wrote an article at the end of 2021 about how we need to bury the hatchet between iPhone and Android. Like the... I agree. The anger, the anger has gone on for far too long and it's ridiculous and... We should be above this by now. And so many comments on that article were just like, no, basically (laughs) like just people be like, no, like we will not do that. We, we, we will hate Apple until the end of time. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried that there'll be people, you know, that the companies will start incorporating dynamic Island ripoffs in their Android phones and Android fans will be really upset about it and be like, if I wanted an iPhone, I would get an iPhone or whatever. And, uh, and yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in the future as far as that goes. No, but look, it's interesting to me that I have a phone right now. Unfortunately, it's on my desk behind me, my other non, non podcasting desk. And it's the Xiaomi 13 Lite, which was announced at MWC. I've had it since before MWC alongside the Xiaomi 13 Pro. And they didn't send me the regular 13, but hey, I can't get them all. The point is, though, I'm reviewing the Lite right now for my friends over at Geekspin. And it has an oval-shaped hole punch because it has dual front cameras, an ultra-wide and a regular. And this is similar to what we've seen on the original OnePlus Nord, similar to what we see on the Honor Magic 5 or a bunch of other phones that have an oval cutout. And to me, I'm surprised that the first official phone was a copycat type of dynamic island encode you know, experience is not only a phone with a normal, totally basic front camera, hole punch, but not an oval, but it's also just a a very lower budget Realme phone, right? This is like in the same leagues as a OnePlus Nord N200 or something like that for us in North America. So like what gives? Why not put this on an interesting phone that has an oval cutout? That's the thing I don't get. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I would imagine that it's probably just down to software. Like I would imagine that Realme or or BBK or whoever is in charge over there probably didn't want to do it on a on a higher end phone because when you spend a lot of money on a phone, you expect the software to be very polished and and clean and 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 good to go. And uh, since this is since the Dynamic Island is is mostly software, it might just be that they were like, let's just get this out there and get people see how working it with it and see how it goes. And then if it works and we can polish it up and get it good, then we'll put it on a higher end phone later. That's what I imagine happened. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's only a matter of time. I mean, Samsung's going to do this. I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if Google does it. Like it's, it's gonna, it's gonna happen, but we just gotta, we just gotta wait for it. It's going to be everywhere guys. That's it. We're not, yep. we're not escaping the dynamic Island. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool. I love the dynamic island. I'm, you know, I'm not enough of an Apple fan girl. You, you all know that I'm a big Mac person, but iPhone, I have one because reluctantly I have to have one. It's really not my main mode of operation for mobile use. Uh, although I do admit the Apple Watch is exquisitely awesome, but I'm, you know, Pixel Watch right now somehow it has stuck. I said that on the podcast a few weeks ago. Somehow I'm still using it, which is kind of amazing. So you know. So here's another one that's kind of an MWC-ish related story. Nokia G22 came out. I don't think it came out before MWC. There's nothing too too exciting about this phone, honestly. It's like a pretty much just expect from Nokia, like 
two to three hundred dollar generic mid-range phone but apparently they've designed it so that you can easily quote unquote replace the screen and battery and uh and they've partnered with iFixit just like Samsung has to get the parts so if you the idea is to make this obviously more sustainable so if you crack your screen or you need a new battery on this phone in a few years you can just it's actually a 180 dollar phone so it's actually a budget phone but you know I'm kudos to them for doing that. In fact, uh, TechSpert, the YouTube channel, actually got the phone from, he's in the UK, so he got the phone from uh, the UK PR, and he got the kit as well, and from iFixit, and he did, you know, he didn't actually replace the battery and the screen because they weren't damaged, and he didn't actually buy the parts, but he, he took them out and put them back in successfully. He'd never disassembled the phone before. So, nice, right? Yeah, no, uh, we did the same thing, Android Authority. We we didn't do a video. We did an article um, about, you know, because one of the claims was uh, Nokia claimed that, you know, you could do the whole thing in five minutes. And so we were like, okay, let's let's do it in five minutes. And uh, yeah, I'll let you read the article to to find out how that all went. But uh, but yeah, this is, to me, this is really cool. So we actually gave HMD Global, who, uh, you know, owns the Nokia smartphone brand, we gave HMD Global an Android Authority Best of MWC Award for this phone. And like you were saying before, not because of the phone itself. The phone itself is is very much a boring, generic you know, budget phone, but because of this partnership and because of the precedent that it sets of, if you buy your phone, you should be able to repair that phone quickly and easily, and you should be able to do it yourself. And, you know, that's what this phone kind of represents. So we were very happy to give them an award uh, for that. And they were actually very excited to get the award. And when we got there to give it to them, we we went to the booth with the award and handed it over and they were very excited. They were super pumped about it. And they had a whole bunch on the table. And in fact, the table was so covered in awards <laughs> that they were running out of room for, for more awards to go on onto the table. So it was really cool that they did this and, uh, and I love it. And the thing that I makes me the most excited is that it's going to push the envelope a little bit further. Now, other companies are not going to be able to ignore this and they might have to offer their own system. And yeah, you know, like you said, we've already seen it from Samsung and Google where you can order the parts and the kit oh, yeah, and all Google that stuff. Too, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, we've seen that, but we've also seen Apple do it, which is doing it in the complete wrong way where you have to buy this oh, entire yeah. oh, my God. kit and it's like so and stupid and bulky. Yeah, and it's like yeah. Apple specifically trying to dissuade you from doing it yourself. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm excited for this this to keep momentum. And uh, and yeah, so Nokia doing this is 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 big news for me. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, I will link to the article on Android Authority on this, folks. I didn't realize you has you had one that Scott's had done, not you, Scott, the other Scott. And uh, <laughs> and that's cool because you know I feel like. I watch, I said, tech experts videos, but I think, you know, there's still a little bit more work than I expected. It's not like Fairphone easy, right? There's some screws, there's some yep. ribbon cables you have to watch out for. So it's not like straightforward easy, but it's definitely easier than any other modern phone yes. other than Fairphone, which is great. Um, and so kudos to Nokia for, you know, trying this out. And um, I hope that other companies follow up with that and do the same thing frankly. Me too. Especially in this kind of budget mid-range area where people tend to keep their phones a long time. 
So, yeah, the last thing I want to talk about is this prophecy stuff, because this is kind of blowing my mind. You know, as a mobile photography fan, maybe expert, I don't like to call myself an expert, but I've definitely been doing mobile photography for, since phones didn't have autofocus. So we're talking 2005-ish. And this new technology, is, it's a new type of sensor that instead of capturing, you know, the entire image, only captures what has changed in the image. And as such, you know, reduces power consumption and processing times. And more importantly, it is allowed to capture motion much more smoothly. So you can now get less motion blur potentially and capture those, you know, perfect stills. Kind of like what a lot of our phones do by capturing multiple frames right now and letting us pick the best frame or letting the AI pick the best frame and suggest it to. Pixel does that, other companies do that. So, uh, you know, I, I know they were at MWC. I didn't get a chance to talk to them. I'm actually discussing with them right now to see if we can, you know, get a get a briefing and a conversation. I want to see if I can get them on the podcast, guys, and see if we can have like a 15-minute a segment with them. So stay tuned. But um, what's your take on this? So I think it's super exciting. And uh, I will admit that uh, we, as an Android authority, we did meet with Prophecy at World Congress, but I did not go. Uh, my good friend uh, Robert Triggs from Android Authority, he went, and uh, it was very, uh, very secretive. Um, so prophecy, <laughs> did, prophecy did not have a booth. You had to meet them at a hotel off site, and yeah. uh, there were no photos allowed. Uh, you couldn't, you couldn't capture photos with the technology and then show those photos. And it was very secretive, but, uh, but. Robert Triggs, who is like you, uh, Miriam, a, I don't know if he would want to call himself an expert, but he is one of those people that has been doing mobile photography for a long time. He was blown away. Like he was absolutely astounded by this technology. He thought it was super cool and was very excited for the ramifications that it could have for mobile photography of the future. Um, yeah, because like you're saying, it, it, it allows you to capture crisp images regardless of how fast your subject is moving moving and yeah. yeah yeah and so and that's that's one of the biggest problems with 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 mobile photography is that you're trying to get a selfie you know you got your arm outstretched and you're trying to to get a shot of you and your friends but you can't hold your your hand you know uh steady and then they capture the shot and you know poor jack in the back his face is all blurry or whatever and uh little things like that trying to capture your kids uh, your, your, your dog, you know, probably not your cat, your cat's probably not moving very much, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, to capture these things in imagery with smartphones nowadays. And yeah, we've got AI, we've got algorithms, we've got all these things to try and fix it. But prophecy is sort of saying, what if you didn't have to fix it? What if you had technology that could capture the image crisp from the beginning, instead of having to fix it after the fact. And that's what's really exciting about it. Um, so yeah, so like I said, Rob, he told us all about it. He was super pumped. We got super pumped by what he was talking about. But unfortunately, as of right now, we have no, we can't show anything about it. So right. yeah. yeah, so we're excited to to learn more about this so that we can share this with our readers uh, and really show them what, what it's all about. Yeah, no, I think this is, uh, you know, this is where we're going, folks. We're going to be getting, 
more and more into computational photography and new sensors like Lytro back in the day. You know, that hasn't really quite panned out to the smartphone yet, but it's still there. It still exists. It's still a technology that's being pursued. And I think it's got a lot of potential as well, being able to focus after the fact. You know, there will be a day when our camera phones are, are the shooters on the back of our phones won't have these big lenses. It'll just be an array of dots uh, with micro lenses and it'll capture an image for us. Like basically the, you know, top one third of the phone will be an array of tiny little dots that let light through that are tiny lenses. And, you know, the software will reconstruct an image and each, each of these sensors might be this kind of uh, prophecy type sensor. And, and then using Lytro type technology, the light ray stuff, you'll be able to focus after the fact and look at it from slightly different angles and stuff uh, on a single shutter, you know, tap, which is, you know, kind of where we're headed no matter what. And it's going to really piss off the traditional photographers, you know, because they're already pretty angry about computational photography. And they should be. I think, honestly, I love a good old camera with lots of controls and manual things and lots of glass and lots of options. And, you know, where the heavy lifting is done by beautiful lenses and large sensors with large pixels. But at the same time, you know, when you combine some of that technology with all the computational stuff we have today, you can do even better. You can do even more. So why not? You know, kind of how I see it. I'm I'm actually the opposite when it comes to that stuff. I don't love the cameras and all the controls and all the sensors and all the buttons. I hate it. I love <laughs> using my smartphone to take pictures because I, I don't care. You know, I, I, right. I know, I know that's a weird thing to say, but it's like, I don't care about how the sauce is made. I don't want to learn how to do all the camera stuff. I just want to take my phone out and say, I need a picture of X hit my button once and automatically get a photo back that that looks amazing that's that's what i want i'm very lazy when it comes to photography <laughs> so uh so yeah that's that's i'm i'm super excited any any type of mobile photography uh, advancement in the technology and making it faster and easier to capture great photos in a small package i'm all for it like i please give, give me the best give me all the best stuff <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, the best analogy I can make is, you know, I use an Android phone every day and that's my main, you know, device for communicating, you know, and that's for photography as well. But I do appreciate kind of like the gear, the 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 physical manifestation of the old school camera technology in the same way as I drive an EV every day, a Tesla, but I don't, you know, I don't currently have a manual sports car and I used to. You know, and I would again at some point in the future, but I appreciate the analog experience and the the kind of involvement of that just as much as I enjoy my, you know, crazy skateboard with battery in the middle and two motors on each end that goes zero to 60 in three seconds. But, <laughs> you know, it's a different it's just a different experience. So to me. They're just as valid. Uh, I just don't like when people, it's like the iPhone versus Android, you know, when people get angry at each other and take sides and blah, blah, blah. It's like, let's just get along because ultimately we are both appreciating something that in the end ends up making us happy, you know? So absolutely. No, absolutely. And, yeah. and for me, for me, like the idea, if, if I was going to be hanging photos that I've taken uh, on my wall 
or or doing something spectacular with them like i don't know doing like wedding photography or whatever like yeah i would need to learn how to do all this stuff so that i could get that high quality image that's ready to be printed and posted somewhere but i but i don't do that like almost all of my photos either don't leave my phone or i just quickly share them on social media and so right. it's like yeah like as long as they look good i'm i'm fine and uh and i do appreciate i do appreciate the analog experience for a lot of things i'm a big retro video game player so i love those kinds of things but uh but yeah for whatever reason for cameras i'm just like i uh, just just i just want to hit the button yeah. and then move on with my life <laughs> And I think we're closer than ever now to probably a wedding photographer being able to shoot a wedding with a phone. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's going to be a big obstacle for people to wrap their head around because of their workflows, but once they can get the hang of it, it's like I switched from doing my product photography with quote unquote real cameras to using a phone for my product photography. And I'm never going back because the quality now is so good that it doesn't make sense. I'm actually getting more benefits from using a phone. Yeah. With HDR and other things. So I'm doing that, you know. Listen, we got to run. So, Scott, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, the various social media handles and things you do? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Scott Brown. You can find me on Instagram at C dot Scott Brown. And of course, you can read all of my material on Android Authority by just visiting AndroidAuthority.com and you can search for my name or uh, just, you know, Click around until you see something I've written. <laughs> awesome. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character. Just drop the vowels and you got my handle on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to chat with me and Scott about this podcast, please do it on Twitter. If you want to see pretty pictures of phones, of food, of cars, of travel taken with phones, go to my Instagram. And of course... The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So please consider subscribing, telling your friends. If your app lets you review or rate the podcast, please do that. If you want some visual content to go alongside the show, there is the YouTube channels, youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast and youtube.com slash mobiletechmore. The first one is mostly the phones and immediate accessories. The second one is like all the rest of our car tech, travel tech, home tech. So check it out. You know how YouTube works. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, click the little bell and comment. Comment about the podcast if you want to as well. And for those of you who want something extra special, there's Patreon. If you really want to support this podcast financially, Patreon's the way to go. We have a video version of the podcast that's exclusive to patrons that it comes out a day or so before the public audio version. I tend to leave the bloopers in there and stuff, so it's a little more fun. And you get to see us handle some phones sometimes and show stuff around on the screen. So check that out. That's uh, one of the perks you get on Patreon. There's also a Discord server you can join for chatting. There is also a bunch of other options there. So if you want to help me out, consider that. Patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. And so I want to thank NTT, our sponsor for this podcast. NTT is one of the world's largest technology and business solution companies, serving over 75% of the Fortune Global 100 and thousands of other clients globally, and has 85 million mobile subscribers in Japan.
The company has a history of innovation with countless R&D initiatives that continues to push the boundaries of technologies, communications, computing, and human connection. Some examples include a focus on artificial intelligence, photonic networks, digital twin computing, quantum computing, cryptography, open RAN, cellular networks, and immersive XR, extended reality technologies. Many of these innovative technologies will be highlighted at the upcoming NTT Global Innovation Summit Upgrade 2023. The free in-person event will be held in San Francisco on March 15th and 16th. To learn more and register for Upgrade 2023, please visit the link in the show notes. And I want to thank you, Scott, for being my guest. Thanks so much for coming on this week. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. We'll definitely have you on at some point in the future. And folks, we'll have another podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.